Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What the hell did we just do? (laughs) Well, Kevin, you and I just watched the film Sherlock Holmes and the Voice of Terror, a 1942 picture uh, that was the first Sherlock Holmes film with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce that was produced by Universal Picture. Pictures, rather. (laughs) (laughs) You're badly shaken. Getting off to a bad start here. Doesn't the voice of terror sound like a like a podcaster gone rogue? <laughs> this is this is kind of Sherlock Holmes versus an evil podcaster. Basically, he's listening to his broadcasts, knows he's putting out bad vibes, and he's trying to stop him. Let's make some enemies here. <laughs> if Sherlock Holmes was taking place in modern times, what podcasters would you like to see him fight? Oh, jeez. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that's too hot a question oh, for God. you. Oh God, yeah, that's a little hot. That's a little bit. Yeah. Joe Rogan? <laughs> so Holmes versus Joe Rogan? Holmes versus Joe Rogan. Wouldn't that be wild? What would even be the mystery? Some sort of uh, anti-vax? Thing? Yeah, some like, oh, you're not doing the vaccine. And he's like, where is he broadcasting from? And Would he would he do an interview with him? Would, would Rogan interview Holmes? Yeah. Yeah, probably be like a multi-hour thing. Jeez. This somehow uh, focuses on the least interesting parts of Holmes's career, like this film. <laughs> like this film, <laughs> yeah. Holmes, 
You could also say that this is Holmes versus Lord Ha Ha, the real life uh, uh, figure in English history. He was a traitor who basically went and joined the Nazis and did broadcasts. I think he was actually born in America and was Irish by descent, but basically UK citizen, uh, you know, and had this posh British accent and would broadcast back to the UK, like all these taunting kind of messages about how the Fuhrer was going to crush England and blah, so blah, blah. So he was like doing characters? He was, he was doing some bits, you know, and he actually got executed uh, after the war, but he- So are you worried about that happening to you? No, I'm not a Nazi. You do bits. Sometimes they fall flat. <laughs> That's not the same thing, Kevin. Well, go ahead and tell yourself. He was that. a fascist. I'm not. <laughs> I'm an well. an, I'm an anti-fascist. Uh, but this guy, you know, so the, the, one of the things I thought was interesting was that, you know, Lord Haha, the chilling aspect of that character is that he had this posh, upper crust British accent that he would use for his broadcasts. So it was sort of like one of us has turned against us. To, you know, to to the people listening in England, and that's you know, oh my God, that's kind of that's kind of scary. It's a fascist among us. Now, this in this case, it's just a really heavily accented German accent, being like, we're you know, we're gonna crush you, and it's like uh, a little film, bit less intense. Yeah, this film goes. This film was actually made during the war, and so they don't want to confront the idea of an English person being capable of joining the Nazis. And so they go to great plot-defying lengths to make it clear that anyone who's a Nazi, even if they look just like us, even if they sound just like us, even if they're our good buddies, they're not really English. It's not like there's any fascists in England, right? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of like if, if an American film was being like, we don't stand for racism and being awful to people who are different than I mean, like, you know, it would, be, it, it would be like if the racist characters in an American movie were secretly from some other country. I'm not even going to name another country. Yeah, yeah. It's some some real some real facts here. Some real facts here. Uh, Hitler was hoping you're school about Hitler. We're going to school. I'm going to school everyone about Hitler. So Operation Sea Line was the hypothetical invasion for the UK that Hitler had his folks sketch up, basically. What Hitler wanted, what he really, really wanted, was for uh, England to basically stand up, hold its hands up, and be like, you know what? You got me. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to join you. He wanted a world that was basically divided up between Britain and Germany. He wanted Britain and Germany marching together against America at a certain point. Like, he he didn't really, he, he I mean, obviously the Nazis bombed London, the Blitz, whatnot, but... You know, there was, there was a kind of like, we want to work together on this. And obviously, the UK never did that. But it's an interesting history. That, like The idea of Operation Sea Line, I mean, I think most historians conclude that it was pretty much not going to work. It would, like the, the German Air Force was just not going to be able to do that uh, and, and successfully overrun England. Certainly an interesting topic. But, you know, this doesn't really play with any of that in a very interesting way. It's very, very pure propaganda like... You know, like English people, like we don't like Nazis. Da 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 da. Doesn't really ta tackle anything in like a oh my god, you know, there's a traitor among us kind of reasonable yeah, way. Yeah, this this is less. This is basically just a, a wartime propaganda film. It's barely a Sherlock Holmes story. It's barely anything at all. And I'm gonna say this: we've encountered because these movies were made during World War II. England is getting blitzed. England is getting bombed. They want some. Uh, you know, oh, rah, rah, England kind of stuff. I understand that, why this movie was made. I feel like films that were also pretty propagandistic, namely Sherlock Holmes Goes to Washington, as well as Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, those films felt like they had more, they, they were more entertaining for whatever reason. This one, sort of languid, sort of takes its time. <laughs> When, when we can note that the person who directed this film, this was the only Sherlock Holmes film of the series that he directed. All the others for Universal were directed by someone else. So it had a completely different tone than all the others. His name was uh, John Rollins. He was apparently known as a pretty competent uh, uh, B-movie uh, director at the time. You know, he, he basically he'd come and do it on budget, get it done. 
you know, that that's who you wanted to hire. Uh, yeah, I didn't, this one hits different notes and I think you made, and before we get into the plot, I think you made a pretty apt, uh, observation. Holmes and Watson don't feel like they're in it that much. Like, like they're kind of just showing up at points and then it's a bunch of filler. And the parts they're in, they're not really acting like Holmes and Watson. So whatever it is you hope to see from a Holmes and Watson movie, their camaraderie, their banter, whatever it is you want to see, you're not going to see it here. I will say one thing of note before we get into the plot uh, that I enjoyed about this. I thought they did some interesting shots. I thought there was some decent cinematography here. There was some decent lighting uh, and and there seemed to be a little bit more creativity with that than I was used to in some of these universal Sherlock Holmes pictures. Uh, I would commend them on that because in the other ones, it's very much paint by the numbers. Here, like it's not it's nothing revolutionary, folks, but you do feel like they are trying, and I I like to see that. But yeah, jumping into the plot, uh, this is uh, partially based on his last bow, which was. One of the worst Sherlock Holmes stories. One of the wor- absolute worst. Just blah. It's one of the Sherlock Holmes stories that it's told in the third person. And it's uh, it was a World War One propaganda story. So in a way, this is actually pretty loyal to the source material. So you got to give it that. <laughs> you know, uh, the, it, uh, I mean, I... Obviously, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, you know, he was a big supporter of World War One, you know, kind of uh, banging that drum when that came up to get England involved in it, kind of as a good bracing war for the country to go through. And that war also kind of turned him into a spiritualist that really dominated the last years of his life and kind of made him look like a fool. He began to believe that you could communicate with the dead, and he started falling for any dumb hoax. Like some little girls cut out pictures of fairies from like a coloring book or something, and they pasted them on cardboard, and they took pictures of themselves looking down at these fairies, and he said, oh my God, there's fairies in this world. <laughs> so World War One, in some ways broke him. Yeah, it broke a lot of, yeah. I mean, didn't his son die in World War One? Yeah. So the son dies in World War One. It's just, you know, and he advocated for the war to happen in which his son died. It's, you know, cruel irony. Uh, definitely one of the weaker stories, in my opinion, too. And also his advocacy of World War One also kind of indirectly led to this film. World War Two. So that's another Good job, story. everybody. Good, good job, Europe. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, in, in this film, it feels less like the kind of rah-rah propaganda of the s- short story of World War One, like let's have a nice good war, or you know, because we're manly men. And this one feels more of like a, ah, we're getting blitzed and we're dying here, but you know, uh, do you you know, England's gonna prevail. Don't worry. So it has a bit of a different tone in terms of as propaganda goes. Uh, the in the opening scene, they're kind of setting this up. They're setting up. There's a voice of terror. It's this evil German guy broadcasting to the UK, and he'll say something like, "It's too bad about your big train full of soldiers, or it's too bad about your boat that has all this equipment for America." You know, and then, and then the, simultaneously yeah. with the broadcast, there would be whatever disaster he's describing mm-hmm. is happening. And so, why would you do that? Why would you? time your broadcast to happen at the exact same time something like that's happening because so many things can go wrong you could think well we've set this up to happen at 5 p.m like what if it happens at 5 10 or what is if it doesn't happen at all that's why in the real world don't people usually make broadcasts claiming responsibility for something after it's already happened yeah that would probably be the safer move i would i would think i don't know why they're doing that i think they did that so that Holmes can get a clue to figure out who's behind it basically that's why it was written that way. I will say that I found it sad, but also like yikes, because uh, they they like twice in this opening scene, you have this council, inner council of like all the people from military intelligence and they're all gathered and they keep saying like, well, obviously military intelligence has done a very good job monitoring the Nazi situation, but I think we need to, you know, we can't really get a handle on this voice of terror. But, like, twice you hear them say, we're doing a great job, obviously, and, I mean, don't even worry about that, but, I mean, we don't have a handle on this guy who's blowing up all our shit. And it's like, they're so, they're so desperate to be like, 
Like in every, like even when cr they're criticizing themselves for not having a handle on the voice of terror, they're saying, but I mean, we're doing everything we can under the circumstances. And so is, is the voice of terror even, the, they're focusing on this voice of terror. Is that the problem? Or is the problem the fact that these acts of terrorism or war are happening? In other words, is the problem that somebody's broadcasting, oh, guess what? We bombed your train station. Is that the problem? Or is the problem the train station is getting bombed? Yeah, uh, the train Maybe station. Maybe we focus on that and let the broadcasts take care of themselves. Yes. the There's a number of times here where you kind of feel like everybody's following the wrong path. And, and I'll, I'll say, you know, when you have Sherlock Holmes, uh, let's say, like in the, in the secret weapon uh, film in this series, He's, he's basically trying to find a scientist who got kidnapped by the Nazis. That feels more like a concrete issue, right? In the goes to Washington, he is trying to find a young woman with some important documents who got kidnapped by the Nazis. It's a kidnapping case, right? It's like, how do I find the kidnapped victim, get them back safely and beat the Nazis? Um, okay, fine. That, that's, like, that's like a crime story in a way. You know, with this one, it's sort of like how to identify who this guy is. And, oh, it turns out it's a very improbable uh, scheme to have this guy in the UK doing all these broadcasts. And also they're bombing people. And if, as you said, if they get the if they get the guy who's broadcasting all this great, but then you still presumably have a, a league of bombers and saboteurs who are still on the loose. So. Because I don't think the guy who's doing the broadcast is the only guy in this group. I mean, so, The yeah. guy doing the broadcast isn't, like, broadcasting live as he's personally bombing things. <laughs> Jesus. This is the era before Facebook Live, I guess. I mean, it, it, but, like, it, it, so you kind of feel almost like the job is half done, and it's, like, a spy story rather than a crime story, and it just... I know Sherlock Holmes did spy work in, in the original stories, too. I'm not... And I also don't really give a shit. As long as it's a good story, I guess I don't really care. I just think that this doesn't really feel like something that Holmes would be able to... I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a Holmes story for a number of reasons, this movie. You know, the underlying crime, the, uh, <laughs> the lack of attention to Holmes and Watson throughout the film just feels... They missed opportunity here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you... <laughs> get all these in the beginning you get all these like montage i thought it was a decent montage but if you get all this montage of the voice of terror predicting bad stuff happening and people looking scared and looking at the the radio and eating sandwiches sadly and listening in and it's like dude, would people listen into this shit i guess people listen to joe rogan well he's not a nazi kevin i mean in this case and this guy's predicting like we're gonna blow up the ship at liverpool today and you know would people tune into that? Yeah. I guess. I mean, it, if you were at war with somebody, uh, we just had the 20th anniversary of 9-11. If, you know, 20 years ago, Osama bin Laden is still alive and he's doing radio broadcasts where he says, oh, next week we're going to bomb, today we're going to bomb this, we're going to bomb this. Don't you think people would tune in to get an idea of what was going to happen next? I guess so. I just looked looked at all these people gloomily eating sandwiches and like looking at the radio, and I was like, I hope our listeners don't look like that when they're listening to us. <laughs> Probably are during this episode. Yeah, I know, right? It's a bummer of a film for a number of reasons. But, uh, you know, this one guy within the intelligence community named Sir Evan uh sort of stands up in the meeting and it's like, we should invite in Sherlock Holmes. He's a brilliant mind. And they're all like, he does criminal private detective work. That's stupid. Like this is a intelligence matter. And Holmes like walks in while they're all like shitting on him. <laughs> so they're like no security here at this, Just walks this intelligence in. council. And Sir Evan calls Watson. I, I couldn't really make out the word, but I think blouser and says, uh, and and then fat shames Watson for gaining weight since childhood, and it's like, buddy, no one looks like they didn't, you know, eaten or wherever the hell you guys went. I mean, that's <laughs> do you don't think, be a do you dick. Think, do you think he was calling him Bowser, like comparing him to John Bowser Bauman from Shanana? <laughs> you just said a a bunch of words at me, and <laughs> are you having a stroke? <laughs> Don't know what that means. What does it mean? Sean Bowser Bauman? Yeah. He was the uh, Sean Anna 
was this program. It, it was a gang of like 50s. It was like a 50s band. And it was led by a guy that was kind of like a Fonzie or a John Travolta knockoff wearing a leather jacket and he'd do the 50s tunes. And he's named Bowser. That's also the bad guy in the Mario games. John Bowser Bauman? Yeah, John Bowser Bauman. <laughs> no, Bow <laughs> it's just Bowser. <laughs> is, is, it, is that Sean and I reference? I, I think I, I, it's just a big dog turtle dragon thing. I'm pretty sure Bowser, John Bowser Bauman, was a human being. <laughs> I'm not sure? positive. I, I, maybe we should Google that because I don't like bad information to go out. All I know is my Bowser would just kidnap Princess Peach and then you had to get Mario to get him back. So, who knows? Lots of Bowsers out there. This The, we, the reference doesn't matter, but it's just opening things just up. Trying a weird to, foot. Just trying to find some joy here. Yeah. Uh, Just trying to lighten the mood. Holmes bizarrely uh, deduces that the council doesn't want him to be there. Now, I mean, it, it's apparent to me from his reaction and from the way he walked in and from the way he was standing there that he was listening to them all shit on him. But he acts like, oh, I know you guys don't want me here because I see all these, uh, you know, your heels dug into the carpet here. And it's like. Dude, just admit you heard everything. <laughs> That's less awkward than what you're trying to do. Then basically what happens is the voice of terror comes on, says, oh, there's this train with all these uh, soldiers on it and nurses. Ah, ha, ha, I blew it up. And this one guy is like, okay, Holmes, I didn't want you here, but you can do this job. Walks off sort of casually. Then Sir Evan turns around. And it's like, he's, you know, he's upset because his son was on that train. And it's like, <laughs> I know, like, stiff upper lip is a thing, but that that was just... It just makes something that should be a solid moment, like, stupid, because people are just not allowed to react or emote at all. It, it was almost like you told... It was almost like, you know, you turned around, it was like, his his lunch order was on that train. I mean, like, where you're like, oh, that's annoying. Well, and, and like, would your mother know if one of her friend's kids was on a specific train? <laughs> I mean, I mean, people, they share that kind of information. <laughs> My dentist's husband was on that train. <laughs> My co-worker's cousin was on that train. Is that what they do in this intelligence council? Just sit around and chat about what trains their kids are on? No wonder the Nazis are fucking infiltrating now, everything. Now, Anya, they're doing a good job. <laughs> No, you're right. I can't I can't deny that. <laughs> They're doing a fine job. Shit's getting blown up every which way. But you know what? They're trying. <laughs> they gotta give them points for that. Well, you gotta admire they know which trains their friends' kids are on. People are always talking about participation trophy culture being like a new thing, but that's basically what this movie is doing for this inner war council. You know? Oh yeah, you didn't succeed in like stopping mass death everywhere and like sabotage at all of our major factories, but you know what? You gave it your all. Let's all go to Denny's. <laughs> Just uh, this movie. I really it made me really appreciate some of the other ones in this series though, I will say that. They got the World War II thing down to a to a better formula than I think this did. Basically Holmes and Rathbone bounce they they're off on the quest Holmes and Rathbone bounce Holmes and, Rath and Watson <laughs> shit I'm like losing my mind this movie bored me to tears at one point I said this movie's a slog and you said I'm not I'm not hating it I wasn't that was like like 10 minutes in no that was like a half an hour that was in. like 10 minutes in that was half an hour 15 in. maybe if by 15 minutes you mean half an oh hour then you're right on the money Jesus Christ you, like, write things off immediately, though. I'm, like, giving it a chance. I'm letting it warm up, stretch, get ready, and then go for it. And the, Was I wrong? You ended up not being wrong. You ended up not being wrong. The story was just, there was not a lot. And you know what? You know what this movie lacked? And this is what maybe breaks my heart most of all. You know, what, what I want from a Rathbone Bruce Sherlock Holmes film, I want bumbling. Bumbling. Dr. Watson bumbling into things. I don't think he bumbled once. Here's here's this movie's excuse for a bumble from Watson. He and Holmes are in the war council with everyone else. They leave. 
Watson politely comes back through the doors, grabs his walking stick, says, oh, sorry, my stick, and walks out. <laughs> what an idiot. Ha ha, he's doing something everyone does once in a while. What a fool. That's a bumble? That's what you're doing? Come on. I want this guy to be, like, falling down the stairs. I want him to somehow, like, knock over a cake out of a waiter's hands. I mean, I want I want true chaos. I want him to fuck up something so bad that England might lose the war. That never happens. He's just he's just there. He's not, it's not like he's being competent. He's just standing around, basically. Yeah. They wasted a Nigel Bruce performance. That's a fucking cardinal sin. But anyways, this is a mortal sin because you, you got Nigel Bruce, you got some fun you got some fun in your movie, you know, no matter what, unless you don't have him do anything and they, they didn't hear. I guess some I guess some Holmes purists get mad about that where they're like uh, Watson isn't a bumbler, he shouldn't be a bumbler, and like listen, I respect that opinion, but you're dead wrong. I mean, it's fun when he bumbles, so they they should have more of that. <laughs> You were mad about Holmes's hat in this one. Yeah, uh, this doesn't feel like a Sherlock Holmes movie, and one of the reasons why it's set in then contemporary times, which is odd. And then also, Holmes doesn't dress like you expect Holmes to dress. He's wearing a very nice suit and tie, looks like any office worker, and then he's wearing a Stan Laurel-esque uh, bowler hat. In the beginning. He switches it to a fedora at some point. Is that an improvement? Well, my question for you is you said, oh, it's in modern times, but m most of the movies that we've watched in this series have been set in, in contemporary times for when the film was made. I seem to recall that I might have complained about that. Yeah, you bitch about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, at a certain point, you got to get over that, right? No. And then with the, what do you want Holmes to be wearing, I guess? Don't you want to be like a deer stalker? You wouldn't wear a deer stalker unless you were on a country trip, if you were a gentleman in Victorian England. Okay, what, what do you like the idea of uh, Holmes dressed as Stan Laurel? Honestly, the bowler looked silly, but generally his sartorial choices are not the thing I'm focused on in this. To me, it's it's not necessarily the biggest problem of the film, but it is a symptom of what is wrong with the film. They don't really understand the character. And if details like that aren't right, and I know I'm in for a long slog. I will remind you that you've enjoyed some of the films set in contemporary England. Maybe you didn't think they were great films, but I think you enjoyed them. You did mm -hmm. not enjoy this film. Did not enjoy this film. Not even one whit. So to me, all that stuff is window dressing. I think you just got to have a fun story, you know? And, and, a, and a vehicle for Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce to kind of, like, have some yucks, have some adventures, and then, you know, take us home, basically. And this is not a movie that, you know, had any of that, unfortunately. No. There were no yucks. There were no real adventures. So, uh, there was some Beethoven needle drops, Beethoven's Faith. Fifth Symphony comes on. That's a plot so point. So maybe, maybe I didn't understand that. We see him. We see Holmes listening to some Beethoven on the radio. And then he goes and he calls some imaginary BBC request line. <laughs> and he says, BBC request line, I want you to immediately play this Beethoven piece again. And then inexplicably, the BBC does this. Even though they must get plenty of requests. And they could have said, we, know, we just play that. You know, it'll come around again. Play but it all day long. It's like uh, Sherlock Holmes is like Howard Hughes. Like maybe he owns the BBC. But anyway, he calls the BBC and says, play this. And then they play it. And this is, then he's like drawing pictures on a piece of paper. And this is significant. What did it mean? He was doing like math. It was like some sort of graph. I didn't understand it at all. I mean, it was something about learning that, you know, the the level of delay on the radio broadcast indicates the lo location of where the broadcast is coming yeah, from. I'm already bored. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't follow it. That's my guess. Yeah. Uh, I, we weren't the only ones who were bored. There, some guy comes falling in the door with a knife in his back. I assumed he put it there himself because he was just like, I don't want to listen to Beethoven's Fifth again. He says, Christopher. Christopher. 
So maybe he was making a request for a song by Chris DeBarge. I actually think that he was just, you know, talking about how the Catholic Saint Christopher should be reinstated to the uh, official role of saints instead of getting taken down. You don't think he was a fanboy for former Secretary of State uh, Warren Christopher? He was trying to do a misguided Christopher Walken impression and it went wrong. Perhaps he was a fan of uh, veteran character actor William Christopher, best known as Father Mulcahy on TV's MASH. <laughs> there you go. It's about the horrors of war. You know, th this the, this guy dies. We don't, I mean, I don't remember. Uh, Sherlock Holmes says, oh, this is basically Gavin. I sent him out to get information. And look, it's a German knife that killed him. So, I mean, okay, I don't remember him sending this guy out. Maybe he did on screen and I just was blanking out at that point. But, all right, so now and this then, guy's and dead. And then some police officer comes up and says, We know, Holmes, I've been watching the outside of your apartment and I saw somebody hanging around. Oh, my God, he's dead! <laughs> so what, what purpose does this police officer guard serve? Nice job, asshole. <laughs> yeah, like, like, ah, it's Holmes. I think there's a man with a knife in his back breaking into your house. <laughs> but you can't deny... They do a great job, these British bodies. Oh, you can't. No one can say anything against them. They're 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 British. They won't stand for anything less. And I'll go a step further and say we're doing a great job with this episode. <laughs> Our best yet. <laughs> if you say something, it must be true. We're full of vivacity and life and humor. This is just mystery to me. Propaganda at this point. <laughs> uh. Basically, Holmes and Watson go investigate. They meet uh, Gavin's wife, Kitty. And this is, I think this is the moment where I just completely leapt off the edge of this picture. Because this is where the plot's really supposed to start. She ends up, they meet her at some bar. In Limetown. Isn't Limetown like a podcast? Uh, forget it, Anya. It's Limetown. Yeah, it's a podcast. It's like a po like a horror podcast or something. So they go to Limetown. We're getting into podcast land here. Uh, and so she makes this this bar. She makes a long, long, long speech about the evils of Nazism and how the British have to stand up for it. And she makes this speech. So they, they don't want to. She doesn't want them to stand up for Nazism. She wants them to stand up for England against Nazism. <laughs> Who knows? If she if she makes this speech, there's lots of tight close-ups of the guys in this bar listening to her, and then you think, oh, makes you think. And it was just it just went on and on, and it's like, what are we watching? There's only one side, Kevin. England. I just think this was like melodramatic propaganda. I feel like other propaganda in this series was a little bit less melodramatic. It was more matter of fact. Like, the Nazis are bad. We know that. We got to beat them. This was like wringing its hands together. And, and I understand why they had it. You know, like, you know, your country's getting bombed. The scourge of Nazism is spreading across Europe. I, I guess it just, it, uh, it takes you out of the like story, you know, the most effective kind of propaganda is the kind that's just kind of showing instead of telling, you know, and they, they told a lot in this one. Uh, we get a bizarre scene when they regroup with the council where Sir Evan mysteriously says, uh, Oh, I had an accident. That's why my arm's bleeding. You know, haha, some guy jumped out of the bushes and shot me, but it was just an accident. Haha. Let's not talk to the police. So I guess they just tip their hand about who the bad guy is, like, right then, because, hmm? What did you make of that? I mean, like, I had a feeling it was going to be, like, one of the main guys in the council that they f focused on who was going to be the turn out to be the bad guy. But that was, ju that was just inelegant. Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, it turns out he is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. But he's not really Sir Evan. Because Sir Evan was a British person. And you know, British people would never... No, can't be racist or anything. So it turns out the real Sir Evan died like 24 years earlier. And he was replaced by a German, his German double. Because the Germans play a long game. 
And even after the country was completely economically devastated in World War One and was struggling to survive, they were pouring resources secretly into this decades-long intelligence program to put undercover agents in Britain for reasons they couldn't even begin to fathom at the time. And also that this guy who is a presumably came in under, you know, the Kaiser and is, you know, has, has been just like stuck with it the whole time through the rise of Hitler. Like, okay. <laughs> and also we're only hearing about this like now, you know, it's not like in the beginning they, they have uh, Sir Evan be like, yeah, when I was in that German POW camp, I saw that these people were going to be, you know, potentially really bad because some of them were really Nazi-ish, you know. That would have been, like, foreshadowing at least. We just learned this all at an info dump at the end. And let, let me ask you this. Let's say, uh, let's use the 9-11 example again. Well, that's fun. It's always good for a laugh. Uh, let's say through some great intelligence operation, the scope of which I can't fathom or understand, you, Anya, you are on whatever committee there is in the United States making our, our wartime policy. I mean, I am. <laughs> and through some brilliant strokes of your intelligent work, you have managed to place one of your agents onto Osama bin Laden's secret council. This is a priceless source of intelligence. So would your move then be, oh, let's dick around with it by doing prank uh, radio broadcasts? No! Definitely not. So why do they do that? They could have this person make policies that would help uh, Germany win the war. Yes. So they're doing like these prank uh, radio broadcasts. That accomplishes nothing. It's it's it. There's no. It's indefensible. This there's no reason. It's it's highly stupid, and yeah, that's it. I it it's just this is a wasted opportunity of a film. I mean, I I don't know. Do we want to go through the rest of it detail by detail? Or do you want to just speed through this? Let's speed through it, babe. Cut to the chase. Uh, basically, at some point, we get thrown a, uh, you know, it, into, there's another Nazi guy, his name's Mead, he's running around, they have a scuffle with him in the basement, he flees, whatever. Then Kitty infiltrates his group. Who's Kitty? Uh, Kitty, as I mentioned, is Gavin's wife, uh, the late Gavin. She's the one who gave that whole speech in the bar, now she's on Holmes's side and she's gonna infiltrate the Nazis, whatever. Um. Uh, there's uh, the, the the working Joes of the town of, of Limetown <laughs> save uh, Holmes Watson and uh, the one of the extra council guys from so getting the by people the who were inspired by her speech. Was it really called Limetown? They called it Limetown. Limey is like a mean word to call British people, I think. So I thought that was kind of odd. Right. Like if we had a Yankee Doodle town, <laughs> just going to be stupid. Don't we have a Yankee Doodle Town? And then is it named Williamsburg? <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you go fuck yourself, <laughs> Kevin Greenley. How dare you talk about the former capital of Virginia that way? Isn't it basically Yankee Doodle Town? Yankee Doodle? Spit. That's terrible. Okay, tell me what, what in your mind would be Yankee Doodle Town? Philadelphia? <laughs> I'm asking you to name a place. Describe the characteristics of Yankee Doodle Town. <sighs> Yankee Doodle Town. I guess, you know, Yankee Doodles, the song making fun of American soldiers for thinking that a feather in their cap is fancy. So would it be kind of like all the bad American stereotypes? Like Such as? Lots of, like, sweaty American tourists wandering around, blocking up everything, being demanding. Basically. So, Colonial Williamsburg? <laughs> yeah, we did have some trouble with the tourists there, didn't we? We did. <laughs> Weird side note, but the, like, there's a thing in Colonial Williamsburg that Kevin and I have both encountered where people will just stand in the door of like an establishment as you're trying to get past them or get out of it and just act like that's a normal thing to do, just blocking the, the egress 
for no reason. And then when you say, excuse me, in a pointed voice, they'll look at you like you're history's greatest monster. <laughs> that That is something that happened multiple times when we were last in Colonial Williamsburg. So hot, hot mess. Maybe in some ways it is the Yankee doodle town of our time. Thank you. But, uh, you know, still a great place. Love, love, uh, love that part of Virginia. Aside from that habit, you know, it anyways, Limetown. Yeah. They have this whole thing. Like, I think it's like, I just am bothered by the kind of really, really desperate over the top proclamation that the movie is making that like, you know, why not have it be, you know, maybe there are some English people who are Nazis and are traitors, you know, and they're bad, but like, you don't have to be like them. Let's espouse the better virtues of England and choose that over these English people being Nazis. Like you can do that. You can have a positive take on it and say, no, that's not what England's about. We need to be about inclusivity or whatever. And like not be Nazis basically. And, but the, the movie just stretches itself to make it so that no Englishmen were deemed bad in the making of this film. <laughs> like, no, but, you know, it, it's it's just the Germans. There's n- nothing bad in England. How dare you even suggest that? It's just all outside interference. And, and by doing so and by having that, you know, purist outlook, it's almost making, like, the English rather than the Germans is like purer than thou kind of, it, 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 it's just, it's kind of a creepy, creepy insinuation there. It's like there were indeed, I mean, there was, there was a fucking fascist party in England, you know? I mean, they weren't, they weren't huge. They weren't politically powerful necessarily, but they existed. So presumably some of those guys would be someone to watch out for if you're looking for a voice of terror type. And this, this movie would have you believe, like, no, 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 no. Never heard of those guys. Oh, and here's here's where you mentioned the uh, ridiculousness of what the Voice of Terror is trying to accomplish. Basically, he's calling his shots, right? Yeah. He's saying, he's Babe Ruth pointing the baseball bat. I'm going to go, I'm going to hit the ball over there. And, you know, when you're talking about a... um a covert operation discussing German sabotage in England in World War II, that seems kind of dumb. It reaches its most idiotic when it comes to the final broadcast of the Voice of Terror. What does what does the Voice of Terror broadcast in his last, in his last appearance? Uh, he says, oh, so uh, what we're going to do is... You guys think all your coasts are well defended? There's one coast that's less well defended than the others... So we're going to attack that coast, and we're going to do it tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Get home safe. And then, of course, Holmes stands up and says, but what if they actually are going to attack this other coast? <laughs> and, yeah. then they, and then they go there. There's a bunch of guys literally in Nazi uniforms really blending in here folks uh in in this abandoned desiccated church standing around in their big nazi uniforms rubbing their hands over a map of england holmes shows up the the council shows up they hold these guys at gunpoint and the nazi guys including Mead, are like haha but you can't stop our invasion force and then holmes is like but actually we were bluffing we didn't send any reinforcements to the northeast coast we're here in the southeast coast ha ha and and then the, you know and that's so they, so they basically sent out this false broadcast saying, we're going to attack here, not here. Why would you think that? And then people guess correctly that they're bluffing and it's, you know, they get them. So this massive multi-decade long intelligence operation ends in crushing failure without having accomplished anything other than a few uh, prank uh, radio broadcasts. You know, if, if Hitler, I mean, Hitler was, was wanting Britain to basically back off, they leave the war and this guy being so highly placed could have made that happen made that or at least pushed that to happen and no one would have been none the wiser it it it's so dumb and and like i mean and i guess the point i guess the point of the broadcast was like the voice of terror was going to be right every single time we're going to do this boom we're going to do that boom we're going to do this boom so it's going to like train english authorities to take it really seriously and respond. but you know you don't need someone on the war council in order to do that 
you can just wait until you accomplish, you bomb something. So guess what? We just bombed this place and that's not the last place we're going to bomb. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It's stupid. I, I, I'm trying to decipher the, the filmmakers like meaning of all of this or like why they did what they did. And I think that's what they were going for. But yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sacrifice your king, you know, in, in terms of chess, you, you would sacrifice a pawn to do this kind of voice of terror bullshit. The, the highly placed person would be kept completely behind the scenes of just being somebody who's whispering in the ear of the power broker saying, let's get out of this war. That's the real threat, you know? <laughs> the Soviet Union had Kim Philby in uh, Great Britain uh, highly placed in their government for many years, and they didn't have Kim Philby doing joke broadcasts. <laughs> he wasn't doing like a he wasn't doing a YouTube channel where he like did sabotage. <laughs> it would be like a video that said we fucked up mi6's spying in budapest and it would have kim philby's like face like looking shocked on like the <laughs> thumbnail <laughs> so do you think it's possible to do effective stories about historical figures while the historical events are still going on I'm not going to say it's not possible. Uh, Upton Sinclair's uh, Lanny Budd novels were kind of an interesting example of that, but I think they were ultimately kind of tedious. I think it's very difficult. I think it's typically better if you're doing something that more of captures the mood of the time rather than the specific events of like, oh, it's Lord Ha Ha. And like... And this movie's so scared of saying anything remotely that might remotely offend any British filmgoer that it almost like handles them with such kid gloves that it's sort of a, it becomes more ridiculous than the reality. I mean, it's ridiculous that there was this guy broadcasting to England as this like fancy English guy saying, oh, the Fuhrer will crush you. That's, I mean, that's a horrifying and ridiculous situation, but this movie's take on it is almost more ridiculous because it's like, you know, but it was just some German guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like it was like, it was like it's almost like, it, it, you know what? It's like, it's like, it's like a, like a movie where there's a murderer in the town and the town authorities won't acknowledge that because they don't want to send everyone to a panic. You know, that's like this movie basically. Like this movie's the mayor of Jaws. This movie's the mayor of Jaws. You know, go out to the beaches, have fun. You know, there's no Nazis in the water or anything. You know, it just it's like a nervous movie because it just doesn't want to offend. And it wants you to think that everything in, in uh, Great Britain is doing great. These guys are really brilliant. But how brilliant are they if they have a German on their highest council and don't even know it? Yeah, I can't. It can't and also, how ways. brilliant are they if they were going to fall for this German scheme, if not for Holmes? Because if Holmes wasn't there... Uh, the council would have fucked up and their entire country would have been invaded. Also, this guy, Sir Eva, Evan, who is the Nazi in the end, he they know he spent a lot of time in a German POW camp. Wouldn't that be something that they would kind of like think about when it's obvious throughout the entire film that there is a leak in the council? And also, what about the tried and true method? I don't, I don't know what the method's called, but like you basically you tell person one A, you tell person B, two B, and you basically give everyone different information, and the thing that leaks is is your leaker. Yeah, that worked. That worked. You know, just tell everyone something different. At the end, Holmes manages also. I thought was baffled by this. Holmes manages to stave off the Nazi invasion by circumventing the council somehow. He's, I guess, superseded, like, Churchill at this point and, like, has just taken over the armed forces of England or the UK. Like, how did that happen? He's like, I didn't tell you guys, the guys in charge of the army, but actually I had the army come in and, like, beat back the Nazis here. And it's like, and they're all okay. They're all like, oh, great. Thanks for doing that. Like, it's like they, you picked up lunch for them. I mean, it's like he, he kind of, like, wrestled away control of your armed fort. Like, what? General Holmes. <laughs> like, what's going on? It was it was a poor film. Oh, and also the woman, of course, at the end, Kitty, is killed. You know, it, he, Holmes is like, come out and sit in front of this guy you just betrayed. 
you know? And hopefully he won't, the guy you just betrayed won't notice that there's a gun right on the table in front of him. Also, all the men, all the men on the council, Holmes and Watson, like, go to the radio to, like, listen in at one point. And she's left sitting there. Guy grabs the gun, shoots her. Like, oh, that's nice. And then they give, like, a two-minute, like, or, like, a two-second thing where they're like, Kitty died for England. Good for her. We'll never forget her. And then Holmes goes over and he makes his concluding speech from his last bow. And, and of course, Watson immediately after seeing this woman die needlessly in front of him is just like, what a wonderful morning. <laughs> you talked about the guys listening on the radio. Can we mention that the council had a radio that was like a huge boombox? <laughs> Blasting. It was a big blaster. Yeah. I imagine they were pumping out tunes when they weren't listening to the voice of terror talk about uh, all its acts of sabotage and evil. And, and then, so the bad guy was like Evan Hansen. And so I thought it was really effective when he was describing his time in the in the prison camp and broke into waving through a window. <laughs> Is that the musical? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had a cast and everything. I'm he doing was, my best. Here. He was originally supposed to be a teenager, but they <laughs> by the time this movie came around, his, uh, the actor was 100 years old. I think we're done here. I think we're done. Have you prepared some parting remarks? Listen, I know we shot on Pursuit to Algiers. That was more fun than this. That had a more light touch. And I get that. Maybe, I mean, that one I don't think was set during World War II, so I get it. Not even blaming them that much, but it, it's more of a jaunt. This is more of a slog. My parting, my parting words, I would say... The voice of terror is less a shout and more of a whimper. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.